morning. Glad to have you here today. If you're a guest, we like to say welcome home, and we welcome those who are joining us live stream. We see you out there, and we are glad that you've joined us. If you are a guest, I know we have some today. We are in a sermon series entitled Knit, and that's taken from Psalm 139, where David, King David of the Old Testament said, I've knit, God knit me together in my mother's womb. A crocheter asked me this morning, why couldn't they have said crocheted me together? But it's knit. So our emphasis for this month is pro-life, really pro-abundant life is our theme for the month of January. And last week in our first message in this series, we talked about the phrase, the sanctity of human life. We did a deep dive into that. What does that mean? What do we mean when we say life is sacred and why? Well, it's based upon our being created in the image of God. That has a lot of implications for all of us. Now today we're going to talk about knit and women, and then next Sunday we'll talk about alternatives to abortion, and we're going to interview Bonnie Martinelli, the executive director of CareNet Pregnancy Center, and she's a member of our church, and we'll, we'll talk about other ways that we can get involved. And the fourth Sunday we'll talk about what God is doing there as he knits us together in the womb. This morning I want to say three things about women and abortion. I'm going to say three things about women and abortion. Pretty straightforward today. Number one is abortion hurts women. Abortion hurts women. Now, this is going to be the longest section of the message today. I'm going to be doing some reading. It's going to be about 10 minutes. Uh, we've got some quotes and some statistics. I don't expect you to remember uh, all of these or really any of these. I just want to make an impression. I want to make an impression. The impression I want to leave is this one. Women hurts, or abortion rather hurts women. And if you want the stats, you know, just... On your connect, blue Connect card, you can say request the manuscript, and I'll email you the manuscript. This is all documented and footnoted. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Now, the thief he's talking about here is Satan. Whereas he says, My purpose is to give them or us a rich and satisfying life. Is abortion really a women's rights issue? Susan B. Anthony stood for women's rights at a time when women weren't even allowed to vote. She viewed abortion as a means of exploiting both women and children. Anthony and other feminists who opposed abortion were followed decades later by a new breed of feminists. Most prominent was Margaret Sanger, who advocated abortion as a means of eugenics. Now, eugenics is weeding out uh, disfavored races from the human race by controlling breeding of humans. After eugenics fell into disfavor following the Holocaust, her organization went underground and then later resurfaced as Planned Parenthood. Sanger and others who followed Anthony tried to tie the abortion agenda to the legitimate issues of women's rights. Dr. Bernard Nathanson says that in the 60s, he and his fellow abortion rights strategists deliberately linked abortion to the women's issue so that it could be furthered not on its own merits, but on the merits of women's rights. Alice Paul drafted the original version of the Equal Rights Amendment, but she referred to abortion as, quote, the ultimate exploitation of women, end quote. The organization Feminists for Life argue that they stand on 200 years of pro-life feminist history and that it wasn't until the 70s that the women's movement embraced abortion. It's ironic that abortion has been turned into a women's rights issue when it has encouraged male irresponsibility. The most pro-abortion category in the United States is white males between the ages of 20 and 45, most specifically single men. 
It's ironic that abortion is the single greatest means of robbing women of their rights. And most importantly, their most important basic right, the right to life. For instance, a survey of a dozen villages in India uncovered a frightening statistic. Out of a total population of 10,000, only 50 were girls. The other girls, thousands of them, have been killed by abortion. Because of sex selection abortions, two-thirds of children born in China are males. And in the Chinese countryside, the ratio of boys to girls is four to one. This is a huge problem in India and China. Amniocentesis is also being used to detect a child's gender in America. Medical World News reported a study in which 99 mothers were informed of the sex of their children. 53 of these were pre-borns, were boys, 46 were girls. Only one mother elected to abort her boy, 29 elected to abort their girls. More girls than boys are now being killed by abortion. There can be no equal rights for all women until there are equal rights for unborn women. The Allen Guttmacher Institute, a division of Planned Parenthood, estimates that 43% of American women will have an abortion by age 45. In the United States alone, more than one million abortions are performed each year, making abortion one of the most common surgical procedures performed on women today. Countless women who have been damaged by abortions have said, quote, I had no idea this could happen. No one warned me about the risks, end quote. Now, Pat Layton is the creator of the Surrendering the Secret study for women who have had abortions, Bible study. And she writes about her abortion in her journal. Quote, it's a long quote. Just hours ago, I struggled to open my eyes. Now I'm struggling to close them. They said that the whole procedure would be over in 30 minutes. They said that I would be picking up my five-year-old son from school that afternoon. They said that a few aspirin would do the trick after the procedure. Nothing they said was true. My abortion was supposed to be a three-hour break in my busy day, allowing me to be on my way by noon. Instead, I had an allergic reaction to the anesthesia they used to put me to sleep, and they had to put me on a respirator to keep me alive. By noon, I was still unable to breathe on my own, much less pick up my son from school. I had to call on my parents to do that for me. Of course, after they picked up my boy, my parents rushed to the hospital, and they had said no one would even have to know. Now, they said there was no need to worry about the fever and the cramps that lasted for days after I went home from the hospital, but as I grew worse, they changed their minds and said, we're very sorry, and admitted me back into the hospital. They said, during the emergency we encountered during your first procedure with the anesthesia, parts of the fetus were left behind. We'll need to repeat the procedure. I never even thought about the word fetus, as they said it. All I could think was baby, my baby. Parts left behind? My God, which parts? Nothing they said was true, end quote. In her testimony before a Senate subsequent, uh, subcommittee in 2004, Dr. Elizabeth Shadigan testified that, quote, abortion increases rates of breast cancer, preterm births, and maternal suicide. Statistically, all types of death are higher with women who have had induced abortions, end quote. At least 49 studies have demonstrated a statistically significant increase in premature birth or low birth weight risk in women with prior induced abortions. Now, low birth weight 
and premature birth are the most important risk factors for infant mortality. The frequency of early death for infants born after their mothers have had abortions is between two and four times the normal rate, and some women are unable to conceive at all after having abortions. Women with one abortion double their risk of cervical cancer compared to non-aborted women, while women with two or more abortions multiply their risk by nearly five times. Dr. Joel Brine, professor of endocrinology at City University of New York, concluded, quote, the single most avoidable risk factor for breast cancer is induced abortion, end quote. A woman who has an abortion increases her risk of breast cancer by a minimum of 50% and as much as 300%. A study published in the Southern Medical Journal indicated that, quote, women who have abortions are at significantly higher risk of death than women who give birth, end quote. And this included a 154% higher risk of death from suicide, as well as higher rates of death from accidents and homicides. There are also common psychological complications. For many women, their first emotion after having an abortion is immediate relief, relief that they're no longer burdened with an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy. Research indicates, however, that this relief is short-lived and is soon replaced by guilt, shame, secrecy, sadness, and regret. This strong letdown experience is commonly referred to as post-abortion trauma. Approximately 40% of post-abortive women experience intense traumatic responses to abortion. However, statistics reveal that 80% will experience some level of symptoms, and some psychologists believe the statistic is actually as high as 100% of women who suffer some measure of trauma. Dozens of studies tie abortion to a rise in sexual dysfunction, aversion to sex, loss of intimacy, unexpected guilt, traumatic stress syndrome, personality fragmentation, grief response, child abuse and neglect, and an increase in alcohol and drug abuse. In a study of post-abortion patients only eight weeks after their abortion, researchers found that 44% complained of nervous disorders, had experienced sleep disturbances, had regrets about their decision, had been prescribed psychotropic medicine, by their family doctor. The organization, Women Exploited by Abortion, has had over 30,000 members and more than 200 chapters across the United States and other countries. Their existence and the existence of many similar groups testifies to the mental and emotional trauma of countless women who've had abortions. A newspaper editorial argued that abortion is just another surgery, no different from a root canal or an appendectomy. But why don't people remember the anniversary of their appendectomy 20 years later? Why don't they find themselves weeping uncontrollably, grieving the loss of their appendix? And where are all the support groups and counseling for those who've had root canals? Many men have also suffered trauma due to their involvement in abortion decisions and the loss of their children. Support groups exist for the men as well. In surveys of women who experienced post-abortion complications, over 90% said they were not given enough information to make an informed choice. Over 80% said it was very unlikely they would have aborted if they had not been so strongly encouraged to abort by others, including their abortion counselors. 83% said they would have carried to term if they had received support from boyfriends, families, or other important people in their lives. 92% of women who have had abortions experience emotional deadening. 86% experience anger or rage. 
86% fear others finding out. 82% experience intense feelings of loneliness or isolation. 63% experience denial. 58% battle nightmares. 56% develop suicidal feelings, engage in drug abuse, and have eating disorders. Women's Health After Abortion is an encyclopedic work citing over 500 medical journals, articles demonstrating that the adverse effects of abortion on women. My point here is that abortion hurts women. We need to hear this. Our daughters need to hear it. Our granddaughters need to hear it. Our sisters, our spouses, women, before there is an unwanted or crisis pregnancy before you have the added stress of that event. Okay, second thing we want to say about women and abortion today is that abortion can be forgiven. Now, we said 43% of women in America will have an abortion by the age of 45. Of those, two-thirds are Protestants and Catholics. These women are, are in this church. They are in our churches, and so are the husbands and the men. Now, the bad news is we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.20, no one is righteous, not even one, and the wages of sin is death. The good news, of course, is we're Christians. The good news is the gospel, and through the gospel, sin can be forgiven. In Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You cannot out the grace of God. 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, we believe, we have repented, we've confessed, we've been baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ, Romans 6.3, Galatians 3.27, God places us in Christ, and the Bible says when you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. You are not condemned. We are not condemned in Christ. We may say, well, I don't deserve forgiveness. And that's right, I don't. We don't. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be forgiveness, and it wouldn't be grace. Grace is God treating us in the exact opposite way of what we deserve. On the cross, Jesus took what we deserve so that we could get what he deserves. That's what the gospel is all about, through faith. Now, let me tell you about Manasseh. Some of you know about Manasseh from the Old Testament. He was a king of Judah. According to the, the biblical terminology that describes him, may have been the most wicked man that ever lived. He was an idolater. He practiced infanticide. It means he killed his own children. He burned them alive and worshiped the god Molech. And he instructed and encouraged his people to do likewise. So God judged him. And a foreign army came, conquered his nation, put a brass ring in his nose, and led him off by chain into captivity. And there he languished in a dungeon. Manasseh, this wicked man. But something happened to him during that time. 2 Chronicles 33, 12. While in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. Here's a man, a wicked sinner, who repented and cried out to God. And God responded in grace. You are not more sinful than Manasseh. Nobody here is more sinful. We may be as sinful, but not certainly not more sinful. And he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so can we. Uh, but we need forgiveness, but there's also something more. Now, if you read in the one-year Bible like I do, 
Uh, you today, in today's reading, Matthew chapter 9, we read about four friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And uh, Jesus looked at this man who was paralyzed and said, My son, your sins are forgiven, which was great. That was his primary need. That's the primary need for all of us is the forgiveness of sin. That's what salvation is. But this man needed something else as well, didn't he? He needed healing. And so after that, Jesus said, all right, Arise, take up your mat, and walk. And Jesus healed him. We can receive forgiveness, but we also need healing. And forgiveness is the beginning and the foundation of our healing. But as we said, for women who've had abortions, you've been hurt. There is trauma. There is psychological, emotional, and spiritual damage. I want to recommend um, this study. I already mentioned it once by Pat Layton, Surrendering the Secret. Surrendering the Secret is an eight-week Bible study uh, for women who have had abortions to begin to find that healing. Now, this is available through CareNet Pregnancy Center. And on your bulletin today, I have contact information for CareNet. Anyone can call there and maintain confidentiality and go through this eight-week study either with an individual counselor or in a group. And Bonnie Martinelli has had specific training you know, for this particular study. I want to recommend that. I read this book. Got it all marked up here. It's a great book. I highly recommend that. So abortion can be forgiven and healing is available. Now, the, the third thing I want to say this morning about women and abortion is, has to do with using lament to heal. Now, here's where I want to make a little bit more of a broader application of what we're talking about today. Using lament to heal. What is lament? Someone has said lament is venting to the only one who can do something about our pain. Well, that would be God. Someone else said, lament is a prayer to God that starts with pain and ends with trust. This surrendering the secret is a deep dive into lament as it specifically applies to abortion. But those women are not the only ones who need to heal. Abortion is not the only sin that traumatizes breaks, wounds people. All sin does that. Who else is wounded? Who else is broken? Who else is traumatized by sin? Well, that would be all of us. Now, let me illustrate something here. I've got my sodas up here as an object lesson. You know what happens when you shake up a soda. We all know that. We've all, you, you pop that tab. I'm going to shake it up real good. And you, you open the lid. And then what happens is, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've already done that on this one, so I'm not going to make a mess. What happens is you've got carbonation there in the can of soda. When you shake it up, the gas, it turns into gas, and the gas puts pressure on the inside of the can or the bottle. So you pop the tab or you open the lid, and it explodes. Now, that's from the pressure. Now, we sin or others sin against us or we go through loss or sometimes we're abused different kinds of trauma and disappointment, and we have these emotions. And some of us have a tendency to try to stuff those emotions down and keep those inside, bottle things up. And we're being shaken up by life, and that pressure builds and builds and builds. And if we don't have a productive, healthy way of processing that, it comes out in all the wrong ways. We explode. We might find ourselves exploding on our spouse. 
We might find ourselves exploding on our kids. We might find ourselves exploding out there on the highway in some road rage incident. And we may say, well, where did that come from? That, that wasn't really proper response to whatever it was that happened. Well, what it was is all of this emotion and this pain and this brokenness has been stuffed down inside and it just comes out. Lament is a prayer language that God has given us to help us process our pain. All of us, not just women who've had abortions. Yes, for them, but for all of us. Jesus practiced lament. Hebrews 5, 7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. We need to know and understand and practice this prayer language. Now I'm just going to go very quickly over the four elements of lament. We'll use Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a prayer of lament. We'll just use that as our illustration today. One-third of the Psalms are prayers of lament. If you're praying through the Psalms in your, your daily study time, you're going to be practicing lament. The prayer we had as a congregational prayer this morning was a prayer of lament. But the four elements are, number one, turn to God, Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, the psalmist is coming to God. When we experience the traumas of life and the wounds and the brokenness and the suffering and the loss and the grief, we can turn one of two ways. We can turn away from God or we can turn toward God. The Psalms of Lament teach us turn to God. Step number two is to bring our complaint. Voice our complaint to God. Verse two, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, God, things are not light, right in this world. Life is short and full of trouble, the Bible says. This is not Eden. Right? This world is not the way God originally created it, and it's not heaven. We're in an in-between stage where life is fallen and cursed and broken, and we feel that. We're like amphibians. You know what an amphibian is? It's, it's a creature that lives partly in the water and partly on land. And here we've got one foot here on earth and another foot up in heaven, and, and we feel that tension. And our natural inclination is to be down here on earth and think about things in earthly ways, but the Bible calls us to think about heavenly things and keep our eyes on Jesus. That takes intention. That's where lament comes in. We bring all this angst and this pain and this suffering that is natural in this life that's going to happen to us, and we bring it to God. We voice our complaint, whatever it may be. We vent to God. And then thirdly, ask boldly for help. Verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Ask for God's help. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, out of your glorious riches, strengthen me with power through your Spirit, my inner being. Why? So that I can be rooted in Christ. So that I can know and experience the love of Christ, height, width, depth. And I can be mature. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to put to death the deeds of my flesh. You know, ask for God's help, the help that he has offered to us. And then finally, choose to trust. Fourth stage, choose to trust. All of these psalms of lament end with an expression of trust. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, the psalmist's difficult circumstances have not been resolved. But at the end of the prayer, nevertheless, he expresses trust in God. 
This is a specifically faithful thing to do. When we look at our circumstances, sometimes we say, God, it doesn't look like you're sovereign according to what I'm experiencing. It doesn't look like you're in control. It doesn't look like you're good. Nevertheless, in spite of what I'm experiencing, in spite of what I see, by faith, I'm going to express my trust to you. This is where the prayer of lament always ends. We understand the long arc of God's plan. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The full restoration does not come until heaven. That's what we're looking forward to. And therein lies our great hope. John writes in his description of heaven, Revelation 21, 4, that's when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We won't need to lament when we're in heaven. But in the meantime, we need to learn this language of lament. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we pray prayers of repentance, of lament, and sorrow for the scourge of abortion that is in our country. Our hearts break for women who are misguided, who are manipulated, who were pressured, who were lied to, and had abortions. We know that they're hurt and broken. We pray for their healing, Lord. But also, we lift our own hearts up to you. There's nobody in here who's better than anybody else. We're all broken and deceived and, and wounded by our sin. And we come to you asking for your help and expressing our trust and our faith. You heal and you forgive. In Jesus' name we pray.